All right. Good evening. When I got here, I was a little nervous because I saw that even some of the adults were on these ripstick things. And I thought, they don't expect me to do that and talk at the same time. In fact, even if I'm silent, I don't think I'm going to do that ripstick thing very well. So uh, anyway, I'm glad I can be stationary. I want to read some verses from God's word to you from 2 Timothy 3. And somebody asked me this week by email why Christians want to tell everybody about the Lord Jesus. What's the big deal about the gospel? And I think really these verses put it well, and they also describe my own history. And so I'm going to borrow them. We're going to read from 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus." Now, Paul's talking to a younger man, Timothy, who's probably somewhere around late 30s, early 40s when this is written. But Paul is telling him, look, there's a lot of deceit. There's a lot of lies out there in the world. And one could get confused. But what we need is the word of God. We can think of it this way. It's like the road map, that the road map tells us where to go, right? Around here in South Florida, I don't know my way around that well. So I need to look at a GPS sometimes. In the old days, I used to have to look at a map. Because I'm from Pennsylvania, as they say, from the bustling metropolis of Birdsboro. So you can imagine a place called Birdsboro. What do I know about Pembroke Pines or Hollywood or Fort Lauderdale or any of the communities around here? Very little. And so you look to the map and that tells you the way you ought to go. Well, Timothy was a lot like me in this respect, that from his young days, young like these little ones we see around here, he knew the roadmap. He knew the Bible. Why did he know the Bible? Because he had a really great privilege that I also had. He had people in his home who knew the Lord Jesus Christ. And people, therefore, that knew God's word. In his case, he could look to his mother, Eunice, and to his grandmother, Lois, who were both godly women who taught him the scriptures. And from a child, he had known what Paul calls here the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise to salvation. I can tell you, standing here, being a Christian isn't about how much you know. Because intellectually, I can't ever remember a time when I didn't know there was a God. I've never been an atheist or an agnostic. I was taught from a little, little boy. There's a God who created everything. 
You know, I've studied a lot of science and philosophy and literature and history through the years, and I've never come upon anything to overturn that very fundamental assertion that the Bible makes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So I've always known there was a God. I've always known God was the creator. And as I've looked at the world and the evidence around, I say, well, that makes sense. I can see that. I can see his fingerprints on things. But the problem is that didn't make me a born again, saved person. Because to be saved, you need a living relationship with the Lord Jesus. Now, I know about certain people. I know about George Washington, okay? I've probably read at least 10 biographies of George Washington. I like George Washington. But if you said to me, Keith, what would George Washington say about the NFL playoffs? I'd say, well, <laughs> I don't know, because football wasn't around in George Washington's day. Well, Keith, you've read about George Washington. How did Washington think? And I say, well, I don't know. It's just so remote from what we have recorded about George Washington. See, I know about him. I've read things about him, but I don't actually know him. I know about President Trump. I know about President-elect Biden. I've read about them in the newspapers. I've read about them in various books, but I can't say I know them. I couldn't call the White House and say, pencil me in for lunch next week. It doesn't work that way. And the thing was, even as a little boy, growing up, knowing the Bible, learning Bible verses, going to Sunday school week after week, hearing the gospel preach hundreds or thousands of times, and having my own parents, especially my mother, tell me about salvation. Tell me that I, although I was a little boy and considered a fairly good little boy, they didn't know me as well as they thought, but you know, considered to be a fairly compliant, obedient little guy, that even though that was true of me, that I was a sinner, that I had in my heart the incipient seeds of rebellion against God. And as I've gotten older, that's become more and more evident, that I struggle with sin, that I have this battle, a battle that I could by no means win in my power and my strength. So what I needed as a sinner was a savior. And I was told by my grandmother and I was told by my mother and I was told by my grandfather and my father and other family members too, you need to get saved. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I heard many people give their testimonies like this. And I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know him for myself. I couldn't call him my friend. I couldn't say he was my savior. See, the Bible puts it very well. It describes the Lord Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because how Jesus saves us is not by teaching us to be nicer or better people or try to keep God's laws or anything like that. God knows we can't get saved that way. In fact, the Bible says it's not of works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us in Titus chapter 3. But when the Israelites, the Jewish people, thought about a lamb, they would think about their holiday Passover. And when Passover was first given in the Bible in Exodus 12, every Israelite home had to take a lamb 
and they had to separate that lamb from the rest of their flock. And the Bible refers to it that it had to be their lamb. In other words, that Israelite had to come and put his hand on that lamb and say, this lamb is my lamb. It's standing for me in my place. This lamb is going to die. Because when that Passover was instituted, God's wrath was falling on Egypt. And the firstborn in every household was dying. And the Israelites deserved death as much as the Egyptians, as much as any other people, because they were sinners. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. It says the soul that sins, it shall die. And as sinners, we deserve death, not just physical death, but spiritual death, to be cut off from God for eternity. But God said, I don't want people to be separated from me. Not in this life, and especially not in the world to come, where it's eternal, where it goes on forever. I want people to know me. I want them to have a relationship. So something has to be done about sin. And instead of us paying for our sins, instead of us being judged, the lamb was given to pay for our sins. The Lord Jesus Christ was that lamb. John the Baptist pointed to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so the people that wanted to come under the benefit of that great sacrifice, they had to identify with that Lamb. In other words, they had to come and lean on that Lamb. You know that song, Lean on me when you're not strong, that oldie but goodie? I'm not going to do special music for you. I am not a Bosworth, nor the son of a Bosworth. And so... It won't sound like those dear sisters sounded a little while ago. I'm not going to sing for you. But you know what that old pop song says? Lean on me when you're not strong. And I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on, right? Well, for the Israelites to lean on that lamb, men, I'm putting my confidence in this victim, this one that's going to die for me, that's going to stand in my place and take the punishment I deserve, death and suffer that for me. And the amazing thing is that an animal can't really accomplish that because an animal isn't the same as a human, is it? I mean, when did you hear of a gang of cows holding up a bank around here? Do you have any bovine gangs, you know, like camel mafiosi or something that go and rob the liquor stores around here? Doesn't happen, right? Human guilt has to be paid for by human beings. And here's the amazing thing. The holy God who is sinless became a man in the person of his son. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to this world to become a man that he might pay for our crimes. We sing in an old hymn, was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. And the answer is yes. It's for things that I've thought, things that I've said, things that I've done that the Lord Jesus as the Lamb of God had to die on the cross and pay for my sins. Now the wonderful thing is the Bible says he paid for those sins. He said on the cross, it is finished. And when he died, we might well stand and wonder and say, well, was it really finished? Did he really pay for sin? Did God the Father really accept that payment? And three days later, we get the answer. Because the Lord Jesus rose again from the dead. And now he says that whoever comes to him and identifies with him, puts their hand of faith, so to speak, on the Lord Jesus and says, Lord, 
What you did there on the cross was for me. Your death was for me. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried on the third day and that he rose again according to the scriptures. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. You did that for me and I'm trusting in you to save me. I'm asking you to give me as a gift eternal life. Not because I make a bargain with God to be better or be nicer. I come with nothing. And I say, Lord, save me a sinner. That's what I did when I was seven years old. Now you may say, Keith, how much sin could you have committed by the time you were seven years old? Well, maybe more than you might think. Enough. Because the Bible says the soul that sins, it shall die. The wages of sin, not sins, plural. Only takes one sin to condemn us, to break that standard. God doesn't grade on a curve. And I had done enough, but I look back and I say, it wasn't God saving me from my past merely, but it was God saving me from my present and from my future. Because if I'm left alone to myself, guess what I'll always do? I'll always go astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, Isaiah 53 says. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the Lord not only saved me from what I had done up to that point, but he also died for what I am, a sinner, and what I've done since then. Unfortunately, I've continued to sin. Although when a person is saved by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, they find now they don't want to sin like before. Now they want to live differently because now the Holy Spirit himself comes to live within us and to change our hearts. And he begins to write on our hearts and our minds God's law. In other words, we get a new operating system. For those techies among you, we get the new operating system where we now start to think like God thinks and want the things he wants and to hate what he hates. And we want to be more like the Lord Jesus. And as we spend time with the Lord Jesus by reading the Bible and praying and gathering with his people in a place like Boulevard Chapel, we start to learn to know Christ better. And we walk with him through the things of life, through the good times where we rejoice and thank God and praise him, and through the bad times where we say, Lord, help me. And so we begin to grow in Christ and this new life he's put in us begins to work its way out of us until one day he who has begun a good work in us will be faithful to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. Now, why are we Christians then so intent on telling other people? I mean, Paul would say, you know the persecutions I endured. You know the afflictions I endured. You know all I've been through. And yet I keep preaching this gospel. Why, Paul? Well, because he would go on to say that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is the God-breathed word of God. In other words, it's not merely the words of men. God used men to write it down, but it's God's word. And if we believe it, it will transform us. And what's more, the Lord Jesus in chapter 4, verse 1 is said to be the judge. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. 
Now, we Christians have to do that. Those who know the Lord Jesus, we say that's an imperative. That's a command. The Lord tells us in his word, preach the word. Well, what if people don't want to hear it? He says, be instant in season and out of season. What if we don't get fruit? In season, you get fruit. Out of season, you don't get fruit, right? But he says, preach the word. Why should I continue to preach the word? He goes on to say in chapter 4, because the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, when they don't want to hear it anymore. But you do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy. Don't stop preaching the word. Now the Lord tells us to do that. And the wonderful thing is that when we preach the word, when we tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ, God is able to use that word to transform them. Because this is the word, as he told Timothy, which is able to make one wise unto salvation. In other words, it's to give you the key of how to be saved, how to be saved out of your sin, how to be saved out of the judgment to come. Because when we stand before the judge, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus says, now, how, uh, if the Lord were to ask us, he won't, but if the Lord were to ask us, now, how do you think you'll get saved here? How do you think you'll be led into heaven? A lot of people think, well, I'll be able to say, I've been a nice person. I've been a good neighbor. I've been a family person. I've cared about those around me. Well, listen, there's a lot of... uh, Again, to quote organized crime, there's a lot of organized crime people that have been very nice to their grandmothers, okay? Never miss their birthdays, always call them, always send them a card. A lot of them have been avid churchgoers, actually, through history. You can be a lot of things to the people you love, and yet you can be something else in your heart when it's alone, when it's just you. And the Lord Jesus, who is the judge... He came first to be the lamb. He came first to die on the cross for our sins. And if we try to come to God through any other way than through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins on the cross and who rose again to give us eternal life, we're essentially saying, Jesus, you died in vain. There was no point to your death. You need not have done it because I'm going to come by this other way. I'm going to come by my works or my niceness, or whatever it is. What an insult that would be to God and to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the sad thing is, we preach the gospel, we tell others about the Lord Jesus, because there's not only a heaven to be gained, there's not only eternal life, a relationship with our creator to have, but there's also a hell to be shunned. And if we don't receive the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no plan B salvation, the only alternative is to be cast from God's sight. And the Lord Jesus in Matthew 7 spoke about that. He said, many will come in that day and say, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do miracles? Did we not preach and do all these different works? And he will say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Imagine that. Saying to religious people that name the name of Christ, depart from me into outer darkness, into hell as we think of it into the lake of fire eventually. What an awful thing. And it need not be. Because the word of God says that the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. That there's nobody so bad. There's no one so caught up in addiction, caught up in vice, 
caught up in secret habits, caught up in filth and defiling things. No one that the Lord Jesus can't save. If you'll turn to him and say, Lord, save me a sinner. I don't want to be this way anymore. I want to be transformed. He says, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Second Corinthians 5.17. I found that out for the first time as a seven-year-old boy when I received the Lord Jesus. And I've never had cause to regret that decision because in every stage of my life, the Lord has been faithful to me. The Lord has continued working in my life. And now I get the privilege of literally traveling the world to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the very best thing that I'm afforded the privilege of doing, of telling others the good news about the Lord Jesus. And I hope that every one of us as believers will be using the time God gives us here to share the gospel, to share the good news with others, how they can be saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll turn it back over to Brother Mike.